you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. When you found your place, if you're able to, with any ease, we'll stand in reverence to the word of the Lord this morning as we read it together. Revelation 11, we're going to start reading in verse 14 down through the end of the chapter. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament and there were lightnings and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. My Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your precious word. And Lord, we confess that we need your help this morning in every aspect. Help those that are here, help those that are online, help me. And Father, may you glorify yourself and magnify your Son. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We started covering this passage last week and we were looking at the sounding of this seventh trumpet. We did a bit of an overview to remind ourselves of where we were in the whole picture and we covered really just verse 14, uh, not 14, verse 15 and 16 and 17 we sort of just mentioned a little bit. We failed to have time to get down into verse 18 and verse 19. And that's what we'll be focusing on this morning, particularly verse 18 and 19. But let me just remind you of a couple of things as we warm ourselves up and get down into verse 18 and verse 19. The seventh trumpet has sounded and we've, we identified last week that this seventh trumpet is the third woe. We identified that within this seventh trumpet, we find the seven vile judgments of the last three and a half years of Jacob's trouble. Uh, they don't come, we don't, we don't examine them fully until chapter 15, but we note that all that happens, let me say this, all that happens from this point, from the sounding of this seventh trumpet, all the way through the book of Revelation up to chapter 20 and verse 3, is all an effect of the sounding of the seventh trumpet. 
and it's the, the pouring out of the seven vials and all those things. We saw last week in verse 15, verse 16 and verse 17, we saw rejoicing in heaven as Jesus reigns. Uh, we identified some truths uh, and I pointed out some words. I'll just read verse uh, 15 and 16 with you. Again, it said, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then notice at the end of verse 17, it actually says, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord, God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And we identified that if, if he had to take the power and hadn't reigned, he's not now. And we identified the fact that Jesus Christ, although all power is given unto him, and he is part of the Godhead, and he has all power, and he is all, and he is omnipotent, and all those things, and he has all power, yet he has not taken all that power and acted upon all that power just yet. He's going to, and we identified the fact that he does not rule and reign on this earth right now. And he is not the God of this world. We identified that Satan is the little G-O-D, the little God of this world. And, and we identified some of those things and we looked at that. We identified the fact that here in this passage of Scripture, there's some things that are ha- happening, there's transactions happening in heaven before things happen on earth. And that's what's happening. Our eyes are turned heavenward with the sounding of this trumpet. It's, uh, there's a, there's a, a transition of power taking place. We saw that in Daniel chapter 7, and you can go and have a look at that if you like at some other time. We looked at it last week in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through verse 14. We see that transaction of power taking place in the heavens. Isaiah 32 and verse 1 says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. That means they're not now. But there is a prince that shall reign in righteousness in time to come. Acts 17 and verse 31 says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. Acts 17.31 identifies who will rule and reign in righteousness. It's the one that God raised from the dead and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 and verse 1 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to take full possession. He's going to take full authority and full rule of the kingdoms, and he's going to come back on that white horse that I mentioned last week, and he's going to rule and he's going to reign in righteousness on this earth. And isn't that going to be a good day? It's going to be a good day when Jesus comes back. And so we see as that transaction of power is taking place in the heavens, we see rejoicing in heaven. And we see them. Notice verse 16, it says, And the four and twenty angel elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God. Now that's interesting. 
And you'll notice, you'll note it all through scripture. When people fall before God, when they're worshipping him in scriptures, they fall face down, not backwards. I'll just say that. Leave it there. But you'll note it all through scripture. They fall on their face. They don't fall backwards in worship to God. Notice as they fall on their face and they're worshipping God, notice what they're saying. Saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come. Speaking of his eternality. Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power. Why are they rejoicing? Because he took all the kingdoms. He took all the power and he's coming back to rule and reign. And they're rejoicing because he's taken hold of that. He's taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Okay. So that's a little summary of last week. A little, little refresh, a little reminder. Come with me to verse 18. So they're rejoicing in heaven because Jesus reigns. There's rejoicing in heaven because he's taken rule and taken possession of all power. We notice in verse 18, we find an angry world and future judgment. Heaven's rejoicing, the world is angry. The nations were angry. Why were the nations angry when Jesus reigns? I'll tell you why, because they hate Jesus. It's just that simple. They hate Jesus, they hate the truth that Jesus stands for, and they're angry that someone like Jesus is going to have to, he's going to rule and reign over them. They wanted someone like the Antichrist. They wanted someone that, you know, he'd, he'd talk peace and he'd speak nice and he's got all the answers and they're worshipping the beast and they've taken the mask and they've got all their faith in the Antichrist and they're trusting in him and he's come with a false hope and all the rest of it. But when Jesus reigns, they're angry. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The heathen rage. The people imagine a vain thing. What's the vain thing that they imagine? That they're going to usurp God's power and authority and they can do whatever they want. Oh, the kings of the earth, they set themselves... And the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. That's his son. They set themselves and they gather together. To me, it sounds prophetical of what's going to happen in the great battle of Armageddon. They set themselves and they take counsel again. What are are you doing taking counsel against the Lord? Verse 3 says, let us break their bands asunder. And cast away their cords from us. Verse 4 says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. And vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Ah, why, why are the, why are the nations angry in verse 18? Why do the heathen rage? Why do they set themselves against the counsel of God? Because they hate God, they hate the Bible, and they hate Jesus, and they love themselves. 
Psalm 46 and verse 6 says, The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. We see an angry world. Now remember, you too probably, well you will be. Uh, If you die lost, and you find yourself going through this period of the tribulation, let me make this statement, if you're not saved, if you're not born again, if, if you're not a Christian, you've never been born again, you've never had your sins forgiven, you've not been saved, when the church is raptured, you get left behind. And you will face this period of seven years of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. You'll face this tribulation period. You'll be, you'll be fortunate if you make it to this point. The largest percentage of the world population is already dead. Billions of people already died on earth up till this point of the tribulation period. They're angry. It hasn't caused them to humble themselves. It hasn't caused them to take a step back and say, I better fall on my face. I better humble myself. I better take the low road. No, they don't do that. They're just getting angry. Just getting angry. So we see an angry world. And this is an interesting statement in verse 18. Notice it. The nations were angry and thy wrath is come. We've already seen three and a half years of the beginning of troubles. We've already seen 14 judgments. We've already seen much destruction. But yet with the sounding of this seventh trumpet, it says thy wrath has come. What's already been? It's not even described as the wrath of God yet. But now, with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, thy wrath is come. And this last three and a half year period of the tribulation is called the great tribulation period. Thy wrath is come. It says here there's a statement there in this verse as well. So we see that statement, thy wrath is come. We also see the statement, they should be judged. And notice the words, give reward. Notice that. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. This speaks of future judgment that's coming. It's speaking not only of the judgment that's going to fall on the earth during this last portion of the great tribulation, but it's also referring to, no doubt, the judgment seat of Christ that's taking place during the tribulation period, because it speaks of the saints being rewarded. And the judgment seat of Christ is happening while the tribulation period is happening. But it also speaks of the great white throne of judgment. And it also speaks of what some refer to as the glory throne judgment of the dividing of the sheep and goat nations. And you see, there's 
There's a whole lot of judgment that's coming, not only in that period right there in the tribulation, but at the close of the tribulation, we had the great white throne of judgment. Some of the judgments... Well, go there with me, if you would, please. Go with me to Luke chapter 19. You'll see in Luke chapter 19, and this is evidence to me that the judgment seat of Christ is happening now during this tribulation period. Because a number of the rewards for the saints are given during the earthly millennial reign. Uh Luke chapter 19. Notice verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. How mistaken they were. It's not going to appear until the end of the tribulation period and he sets up his kingdom and takes takes the reign through the millennial. Verse 12 said, He said, Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. The nobleman speaks of Jesus. And he called his ten servants, delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent message message after him, saying, we will not give this man to reign over us. Well, that sounds like the world. Won't have Jesus reign over me. Won't have Jesus be Lord of my life. Quite happy for him to save me from hell, but he's going to tell me how to live. And verse 15 says, It come to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. There's not cities in heaven. There's only one city in heaven. But this talks about the, the nobleman's servants being rewarded cities. And we're going to rule and reign with Jesus through the millennial reign. And I believe this speaks to the fact that it speaks to the fact that the, some of the rewards that we see at the judgment seat of Christ, those rewards are going to be given and acted out through and, and, and received during the millennial reign on earth. They're not just rewards for when we get to heaven, but there's rewards that we take during the millennial reign when we rule and reign with Christ. And you can read down there through the furtherance of that passage. So Revelation chapter 11 and verse 18 reveals to us an angry world, reveals to us future judgment that's coming. And can I say to you very plainly that if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, at the end of it all, you will stand before the great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20. You'll be judged according to your works. You'll be bound hand and foot and cast into the bottomless pit. Notice with me, if you would please, in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. We'll spend the rest of our time here in verse 19. The temple of God was opened in heaven 
And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. The temple of God was opened in heaven. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? The temple of God was opened in heaven. There is right now, right now, while we're here, there is right now a literal temple in heaven. We've already seen a number of references to a literal altar in heaven. We've seen that as we've worked our way through the book of Revelation. Go back with me to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 15 and we're just going to work our way through a few verses and I want to show you this temple in heaven. Right now, as we speak, there's a temple in heaven. The temple, the tabernacle on earth, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, the temple of the Old Testament, the temple of the New Testament, they were just shadows of the temple that is in heaven. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 15. Therefore are they before the the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Go to Revelation 11 and verse 19. We've already seen that this morning. Go into Revelation 14 and verse 15. Revelation 14 and verse 15. Just point out to you the temple that's in heaven. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Notice verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Notice chapter 15, verse 5, down through verse 8. Notice it. And after that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle or the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels, and and this is what's contained in this seventh trumpet, okay? And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with gold girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke For the glory of God and for his power and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Now also notice with me chapter 16 and verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And then lastly chapter 16 and verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. I'm trying to emphasize to you and I'm doing it for a reason. I'm trying to emphasize to you there is a temple in heaven right now. There is a temple in heaven throughout the tribulation period. There is a temple, there is an altar, there's all those things in heaven, right now, a literal spiritual heaven. This truth, 
it's absolutely key to get a hold of the fact that it's talking about the temple in heaven in order to understand Revelation chapter 10 through chapter 16. If, if you're confused about the fact that that's speaking about the temple in heaven, you're going to misinterpret chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, if you're interpreting the temple it's speaking of as the temple on earth rather than the temple in heaven. It's the temple in heaven. I just need to emphasize that. I want you to get a hold of that. As we work our way through these chapters, it's speaking of a literal spiritual temple in heaven and the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament and the New Testament on earth is just a shadow. It's just a figure of the real true temple in heaven. Okay, I've probably flogged that horse long enough. Go with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 8, if you would please. I want you to notice in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 5, I want you to notice Jesus our high priest in the true tabernacle. Jesus our high priest in the true tabernacle. Again, just more evidence that there is a real, literal, spiritual temple in heaven. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Hebrews 8 verse 1. Now the things which we have spoken... This is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. See, the tabernacle and the temple on earth is not the true tabernacle. The true tabernacle is not made with men's hands. God pitched it in heaven himself. And we're talking about our, our Jesus, our high priest, in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example of the shadow of heavenly things. So all that that they did under the law, they were already doing it in heaven. And it's just a shadow of things on earth that's going on in heaven. Who serve under the example of the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much more also he is mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So here's Jesus. He's our high priest in the true tabernacle in heaven. Have a look in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. We see the temple in heaven as an altar, it has an altar, a holy place, and a most holy place. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, 23, and 24. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, for without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, 
which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The tabernacle or temple made with hands on earth, again, is just a figure. It's just a shadow of what already exists in heaven. Go back with me to Revelation chapter 11. The temple of God was opened. John saw the temple of God in heaven. What an incredible thing. Remember, this is God. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus being revealed, God being revealed, what's going to happen. John's seen it all himself and he's been moved to the Holy Ghost and penning it down. And he, and, and he says here in verse 19, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. And notice, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. So in heaven is the ark of his testament. I believe, and this is my belief, you can do with it what you want, I believe it is the literal ark of the covenant is in heaven. I believe you can go digging under Jerusalem and you can go looking in caves and you can watch all the movies you want. Uh, I don't believe you're going to find the Ark of the Covenant. And I'll give you some evidence and you can do with it what you want. But it says there, there was seen in his temple, John saw, it didn't say a Ark, it said the Ark of his testament. Now the Ark, we won't go there for the sake of time, but the instructions for the making of the Ark of the Covenant, you can find that over in Exodus chapter 25 and there's all the instructions how it's to be made. And, and uh, an Ark is not some mysterious mystical thing. An Ark is a container. An Ark is a di- dispository. It's, it's just a box. It's what an Ark is. God instructed Moses to make an ark, to make a box, to make a container, a coffer, a vessel, whatever you want to call it. And it was made out of shittim wood, which is acacia wood. It was covered with gold. It had a mercy seat on top of it. It had a chair of either end. And, it, and the ark is the only piece of furniture in the Holy, Holy of Holies. Now, an ark, an ark is built to protect its content. And there's biblical evidence for that. We got Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark was just a container. It was just a vessel. It was just something for God to put some things in to protect for a little while through the storm. And so we got Noah's Ark. But then we got the Ark that, remember remember the Ark that uh, Moses was laid in? His mum made an ark and, and pitched it and then, and she made that little ark and I said, a little baby boy and, and she made that ark and she pray, pray, placed that precious little baby in there. And why did she make that ark? Because she wanted the contents protected. The purpose of an ark is to protect its content. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's see what your Bible tells us is in the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. Remember, it's built to protect its content. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. 
Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Notice verse 4, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein, so inside it, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. God was interested in protecting the golden the, 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 the golden pot that had the manna in it. He was interested in protecting Aaron's rod that budded, and he was interested in pre- protecting the tables of the covenant. That's the tables that had the Ten Commandments written on it. He had them, he had the, the tables of the Ten Commandments in, in the ark, he had that, that pot of manna in the ark. And he had Aaron's rod that budded in the ark. And here he is putting that in there, putting the lid on it, the mercy seat, and covering it to protect and to keep safe the content of the ark. Now, what's this indicate? Well, I'll I'll, I'll give you a couple of things. I I believe it, it indicates the provision of God, the power of God, and the precepts of God. And the, the provision of God, the power of God, and the precepts of God are eternal where it comes to the covenants of God and with His people. And it speaks to the fact of His provision. And thank God for the provision of God. Not, not just His physical provision, but thank God He provided Jesus for my soul. And thank God He provided Jesus for your soul. And thank God for His provision for spiritual things and His provision for salvation. But we see that also that he provides, he protects and, and preserves the power of God in the fact that Aaron's rod budded. What a miraculous thing that Aaron's rod budded and it demonstrated the very power of God. I'm glad that God's power is preserved for all eternity. And then the precepts of God's law. God has not changed. God's holiness is still the same. God's just a holy God now in the New Testament as he was in the Old Testament. There is no difference in the precepts of God and the dispensations that we might find ourselves in. And thank God we're not under the law, but you know the law is placed in the, in the covenant, in, in the, in the, in the ark of the covenant. The law is placed in there, but you know what's on top of it? The mercy seat. He hasn't done away with his law. His law is still there, but thank God that it has been appeased through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can find propitiation through the person of Christ. The ark, in on earth, the ark was not only to protect its content, but the ark was the dwelling place of God upon earth. Have a listen to these couple of verses. In Exodus 25 and verse 22, it says, And there I will meet thee, and I will commune with thee, from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. You know where God met with, with his people? He met the ark of the covenant. That was his dwelling place. Psalm 80 and verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubs, shine forth. 
Here on this earth, God's presence was found where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark is referred to by five different names in the Old Testament. I'll just give them to you quickly. It's referred to as the Ark of the Covenant in Numbers 10.33. The Ark of the Testimony in Exodus 25.22. The Ark of God in 1 Samuel 3.3. The Ark of God's Strength in Psalm 132 and verse 8. And the Holy Ark in 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 3. Now we can, we can acknowledge the ark was stolen and moved a number of times, wasn't it, by the enemies of God? We read about that in the Old Testament. Philistines took it and this lot took it and they took it and they, they stole it and it was taken back again. But in 1 Kings chapter 8, we find it back in the possession of God's people in Solomon's temple. And nothing is said of the ark during the invasion of Shishak, the king of Egypt, or Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Nothing said about it being removed. 400 years of silence and then the people of, and then, and then the people of this earth crucified the, crucified God manifest in the flesh. And they did that 2000 years ago. And there's been no, no revelation and no mention of the ark until we get to here. Now, we're not going to go there. I'll give you the passage. You can do with it what you want. We won't go there for the sake of time. But in Ezekiel chapter 9 and chapter 10, I encourage you to read those two chapters. Ezekiel chapter 9 and chapter 10. It's possible. And I'm just saying it's possible. I don't know. I believe it is. And I believe this is the evidence. It's enough for me to suggest that the ark is in heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 9 and chapter 10, what you'll find is... is You'll find the glory of God from the cherub being, you'll find the removing of the glory of God from the cherub to the threshold and from the threshold of the temple to heaven, out the east gate of the temple of God. And I believe that that was the Ark of the Covenant. You say, well, I don't believe in flying boxes. Well, you know, I don't believe in sticks turning to serpents either. I've never seen that. God can do what he wants. It's his box. It's his ark. He can do what he wants with it. I don't have to explain it. I don't have to understand it. But if he wanted to, if he wanted to pick up that literal ark out of the temple and carry it safely up into heaven, he can do that. Go in with the Numbers chapter 10. You say, well, I don't believe in boxes moving around. Well, it did in Numbers chapter 10. Notice chapter 10 verse 33 through verse 36. Here we see the Ark of the Covenant moving before the, the, people of, the people of God by itself. Numbers chapter 10 verse 33. Numbers 10, 33 through 36. And they departed from the mount, they're at Mount Sinai, they departed from the mount of the Lord three days journey and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them in three days' journey. The ark, what was it doing? Well, to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. 
That's a bizarre passage of Scripture. But you have a flying box moving before the people of God, finding a resting place for them, and it moved around. So it's nothing for me. I mean, God, we learn in discipleship course that God spoke everything into existence. God said and it was. Well, if God wants to take a box to heaven, I'm pretty sure he can do it, whether we want to believe that or not. Go with me back to Revelation chapter 11. That's my, that's my you know, I'm not going to split hairs over it, do with it what you want. But John said he saw that when the heaven was opened, uh, when the temple was opened in heaven, he saw the ark of the testimony. So you'll have to come up with another explanation of what that ark is if it's not the ark of the testimony. It says, so in Revelation 11 and verse 19, we see the true temple of God's in heaven. We read, do you remember when we read in chapter 15, verse 5 through 8? Just, just flick back over there. Hold your place, Revelation 11. Just go to Revelation 15. And remember, Revelation 15 is where we see what's contained within the sounding of this seventh trumpet. We see the seven vials uh, of uh, the seven last plagues and we see all these taking place. And where does it all come out of? It says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over, uh, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God and they sung the song of Moses, the servant of, the servant of, uh, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways. Uh, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou art holy, for all thy nations shall come and worship before thee, and thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, here it is, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with gold girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Why is it so important to understand what's going on here? Because all that's happening in this last three and a half years of the great tribulation period is all that all that's happening all the judgment is coming forth out of the temple that's in heaven it's all proceeding out of the temple in heaven every bit of it god in heaven pouring out his wrath on earth out of his temple in heaven notice the the final portion of verse 19 says, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Lightning, voices, thunder, earthquakes and hail 
are all symbolic of God's majesty, God's power, and God's judgment. Psalm 18 and verse 7 says, Then the earth shook and trembled, the fountains also, the hills moved and were shaken, because he was wroth. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 14, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. And then Revelation 6 and verse 17, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? When God's great wrath shall come, you shall not be able to stand if you're, if you're not under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that simple. In Romans chapter 5, I'm going to close here, but let me just make this statement in closing. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and following. Listen to it carefully, if you would, please. Romans 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank God that he did. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm glad that Christ didn't die for me because I was sinless, because I was a saint, but he died for me because I was a sinner. And he died for you because you were a sinner. Notice verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If you've not been saved by the blood of Jesus... You don't get saved by your works. You don't get saved by your good morality. You don't get saved by your good Bible knowledge. You don't get saved by your family name. You get saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And if you're not saved and if you're not justified by the blood of Christ, you are not saved from the wrath to come. But praise the Lord, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, if you've been born again, we're saved from that wrath to come. That wrath on earth and that wrath in eternity. Saved, saved, saved. Thank God I'm saved. Let's stand. We're going to dismiss with a word of prayer. Thank you all for being here this morning. feel like I labored and struggled this morning. I appreciate you being patient with me.